This is the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced with support from listeners like you via Patreon. We've been building a great community with bonus solo episodes and a Q&A for plus patrons and a safe place to connect and share about our writing. You can join in at patreon.com slash secret library. This is episode 151. My guest this week is Alison Pataki. She's the New York Times bestselling author of The Trader's Wife, The Accidental Empress, Cece, Empress on Her Own, and Where the Light Falls. Alison's novels have been translated into more than a dozen languages. A former news writer and producer, Alison has written for the New York Times, ABC News, The Huffington Post, USA Today, Fox News, and other outlets. She's appeared on the Today Show, Fox and Friends, Good Day New York, Good Day Chicago, and MSNBC's Morning Joe. She graduated cum laude from Yale University with a major in English and spent several years in journalism before switching to fiction writing. A member of the Historical Novel Society, Allison lives in New York with her husband and daughter. Her memoir, Beauty in the Broken Places, is now out in paperback, and it's this book that we're discussing today. It was really lovely to talk to Allison, um, who has been through a really unbelievable experience, which was her young husband, um, shortly before she gave birth to their daughter, they were on an airplane and he looked at her and one of his eyes was completely dilated and said, is there something weird going on with my eye? And it turned out that he was having a stroke. Um, what followed is a, a year of really, really difficult experiences, um, when Allison didn't know what was going to happen next and faced an incredible amount of stress and strain. She wrote Beauty in the Broken Places about this experience. She'll describe it more in the episode. But it was really wonderful to talk about the difference between writing memoir when someone has had a successful career writing fiction and how it feels to write more directly about your life and to change what you're sharing. It changes the people that are impacted. You're writing about real life people, your own marriage, your life. And she really, really goes quite in depth into the experiences she had. She's very honest. She's very open um, in both the book and this episode. So it was lovely to talk to Allison. I know you're going to enjoy hearing from her a lot. And I'm very happy to introduce Allison Pataki. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me here. So I'm really excited to talk to you today because often we have people on and the book has just come out in hardcover or it's just been released for the first time. And given that you wrote a book about one of the most transformational experiences someone can write about in their life, and then now it's been a year since the book has been out, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it's been like to have this book out in the world for the last year, and then maybe we can kind of backtrack and start from where the book came from. Yeah, absolutely. Because this book, as you said, is written from personal experience and an incredibly intense transformational experience, as you very accurately pointed out, it has been a totally different experience to live with this work out in the world than when you compare it to the previous four books I had published, which were all fiction. It's understandably because it's written from, you know, my own life and written in the first person. 
and was a complete opening up of my heart and my memories and my family and my life story, um, that obviously makes it a lot more personal and a lot more intense. But I think it's also allowed me to connect with readers in a much more intense, kind of profound, meaningful way. Because, you know, you write fiction and obviously you pour pieces of yourself into the characters and into the story. And then readers find that certain aspects of the story or the characters resonate with them in an intensely personal way. Um, But ultimately, you have a little bit of that distance that is just exists because it's fiction. Whereas when you're talking about your personal experience, you're using your own letters, your own memories, um, your own life moments and words. Um, not only me, but my husband, our daughter, our family, you know, my in-laws, my parents, um, you open yourself up to readers to connect in a really, really, um, intimate way. And so when I'm, you know, speaking to libraries or speaking at bookstores or even just connecting with readers in a one-on-one basis or through email or through comments. Um, I think it's sort of an invitation for readers to also share about their own personal experiences um, and to share these really intense personal um, moments and thoughts of their own. And specifically, uh, I think what has happened is it's been kind of like almost a, a daily basis, um, whether I either get a note or a comment or a message or have a, an, a personal interaction with someone where I have a, a conversation that just kind of pauses me or causes me to pause in my tracks and just think, wow, my experience like really hit them in this personal way has prompted them to come forward and share their experience. Um, and specifically what I talk about in the book is how this moment that prompted this book was my initiation into the club of the bad thing. Mm. People are coming forward and sharing their stories of the moment when they entered the club of the bad thing. And so it, it causes me to not only reflect on the lives of the readers and to connect with the readers in this personal way on their terms, but also to kind of take stock of my own life in a way that writing my fiction just really has not done in in as profound of way. It's interesting because you talk in the book about the process of moving from writing professionally that was not fiction. It was writing for news and then moving into writing fiction and there was this sense of delight and discovery and love of writing. And it almost feels like as you're talking, this has gone even one step further than writing fiction. But I'm interested in what it was like to write this book because this was not it was not like writing about the best summer of my life. And I'm going to share all the juicy details of how wonderful this was. This was real and raw and painful. And absolutely. How was it to write about that versus writing fiction? Yeah. And this was not a story I ever intended to write because it's about an experience that I never imagined myself living through, uh, at least certainly not in the circumstances and at the moment and in the way in which I did. Um, And, you know, writing was my happy place, you know, first, as you said, the newsroom and then fiction. And so the thought of writing about beauty in the broken places um, was not something that really came to me naturally or initially as something that I wanted any part of doing. Um, But what happened was almost four years ago at this point, my husband turned to me on 
an airplane and we were flying to our baby moon. You know, we were taking a last trip before I gave birth to our first child, sort of the last gasp of travel um, before life changes completely as we know it. And as we enter into this new phase of our marriage and our life together um, as becoming parents. And so we're taking this trip and we're flying from Chicago where we lived at the time towards Hawaii, um, towards what we thought would be this incredibly amazing trip together. And my husband turns to me on the plane um, an hour into the flight. And he just says, Allie, does my eye look weird? And I look into his eye and the pupil had expanded. His entire eye had gone black. But it was not both eyes. It was just one eye. And there was this really freaky asymmetry going on with his face. And I said, yeah, your eye looks really weird. And he said, I can't see anything. And so just being a hypochondriac and being not a medical person, um, I just, I threw out the most crazy outlandish thing I could think of. And I just said, you know, Dave, are you having a stroke? And I almost sort of said it because I was thinking my husband, who is a doctor, would just shake his head and say, you know, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not having a stroke. Um, And that's what I was hoping for. And instead, the reaction I got was he just looked at me and he got very quiet and he sort of looked down into his lap and he goes, I think I might be. And a few minutes later, Dave shut his eyes and lost consciousness and slipped from me um, as he was, you know, having this massive life-threatening stroke, 35,000 feet in the air. Um, And that, in that moment, you know, in literally the blink of an eye, life changed forever, our marriage changed forever, and my journey as a writer changed forever. And that was the moment that really began the experience that would ultimately become the raw source material for this book, Beauty in the Broken Places, that you know, I had never in my wildest imagination thought I'd be writing. So at the beginning, one of the things you share that's really beautiful in the book is these letters that you wrote to Dave as you were going through the process of him recovering from this horrible stroke experience. And this, these to me, I thought it was really generous of you to share because you really get to see as a reader the inside of how you're feeling in this experience. And I'm wondering at one point, at what point it stopped being something you were doing for Dave? And when did you decide this might be a book that you might write to share with other people? Because I imagine that was a big decision. Yeah, yeah. So so at first, we didn't know if Dave would wake up. You know, we for hours, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know for sure whether Dave had had a stroke. He'd had a very, very uncommon stroke that did not show up in the scans. He was not having, you know, a blade in his brain. He was not having a hemorrhagic stroke. What he had was an ischemic stroke. So that just meant that the oxygen was cut off to his brain, and brain cells and neurons were just dying. Um, but there was nothing you could see on a screen until huge patches of his brain were dead um, and filled with these dead neurons that had been starved of oxygen for hours. So once we determined that Dave had had this really rare, really bad, really fatal type of stroke, the question is, would he wake up? And ultimately, a few days later, physically, Dave woke up. But when those eyes blinked open, and I looked into the face of my husband, and I looked specifically into the eyes of my husband, everything had been wiped clean. Dave was in a state of um, complete amnesia. And we didn't know, 
you know, what was still in there of Dave and of Dave's memory and former life um, and what and my former life and my memories. And so what happened was that from those earliest days, I began writing these letters to Dave because I couldn't talk to my husband, even though he was physically there. He wasn't mentally or emotionally there. Um, and so I began writing these letters as sort of a therapy for myself. Uh, another for, another use of them was sort of like a preserving sort of keeping a record. And as a writer, how I do that is through the written words. So putting it down in writing, saying, I'm never going to remember what we're going through. And so I'm going to preserve it. And gosh, wouldn't it be so wonderful if someday Dave is present and lucid enough to have questions and to wonder what was going on and what happened in these early days after his stroke. Um, I'll be able to point him towards these letters. And, and then at every step of the journey, I sort of marked time and marked our experiences with these letters. And I wrote him a letter every day for a year. And, and for that year, they were always intended just someday for Dave, maybe someday for our daughter. Um, and for me, through this process as a therapeutic sort of writing exercise. Um, and it wasn't until about a year later that I thought that maybe there was something broader there. And, and how I came to that moment was in that first year after Dave's stroke and through his survival and then through his recovery, the excruciating process of trying to recover Dave's mind and memory and, and personality, um, we were flooded with words and we were being flooded with words from loved ones and we were getting letters and messages and emails and prayers and notes and cards. Um, and they were filled with memories of Dave and hopes for Dave and, you know, people who hadn't even spoken to Dave in person in over 20 years were coming out of the woodwork to write about this one time that Dave impacted their life or this one time that um, they drew experience from or um, inspiration from something Dave had done for them or a favorite memory, um, a hope for the future. And so I just thought, gosh, these are such powerful words. And I, I just sort of likened it to thinking, imagine if you could attend your own funeral and here are the eulogies that everybody who you care about um, presented on your behalf um, and, and painted this picture of yourself. And then you got to go forward and actually live your life knowing what you meant to all these people. And I just thought, gosh, wouldn't it be so wonderful if Dave could see this picture of himself um, that people remember and are sort of memorializing with their words. And so those letters and cards and notes combined with the letters I had written I combined and I, I put it all together and I called it Dave's big book of fan mail. And it became, mm -hmm. I, I hoped a source of inspiration for him and a source of motivation for him to see what he was fighting for. Yeah. How was it for you to, <clears throat> to write a book that you were thinking about publishing and that would put it out beyond the community of your friends and family and to share often extremely difficult and dark moments that you went through with the general public? It was the hardest project I've ever worked on, without a, without a doubt. Because when you're writing about historical fiction, which was my genre prior to Beauty in the Broken Places, I love history. So, you know, I think it's so fun to dive into the lush, juicy life stories of these women whose, whose tales have largely been forgotten in history and then to sort of bring them to life with my imagination and to tell the stories. And yes, there's challenges, obviously, with any project, but it's not as deeply personal. It's not obviously as scary. 
And it's also real. It can be really challenging to step back and think of your own experiences and words and memories and try to overlay that with a narrative arc that creates story. Like I had really hard times, um, a really hard, difficult time trying to think about how I tell the story of Dave's in my life. You know, I am in it. I lived it. I remember it. Um, but how do I explain that and convey that to a reader? And how do I make that compelling or interesting? You know, to me, it's just like my memories. Like that's, there's nothing compelling in that. And so I had to, there were moments where my agent or my editor, where they would push me to go deeper or further, you know, into the love story, for instance, or the beginning of Dave's and my story. And I would just say, I don't really know how else to explain this. I don't really know how else to get into this. Um, and then they would keep pushing and I would just keep saying, like, I think I've given you everything I have. I don't know what more to do. And eventually one interesting exercise that my editor and my agent cooked up for me was they said, okay, we're going to get you on the phone with two of your best girlfriends. And we want you to just chat. And we want you to chat about Dave. We want you to chat about your memories. We want you to chat about when you met, the night you met, the beginning of your courtship. Um, and we're not even going to pretend we're not here. We're just going to have you got girls talk for an hour. Um, and we're going to record it. And then you're going to go back and listen to it. And you're going to think about, okay, this, these are the stories of my life. These are, this is the narrative of our love story. Um, and so that was just different. It was a different experience. It was a new sort of challenge. And it was also like a balancing act because I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be raw and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be open. And the flip side to that is you are opening yourself up to be incredibly vulnerable and incredibly um, sort of there's a risk in that. Like you can read a reader review and say, Oh, I really don't like the life story of CC, or I really didn't like this life story of Peggy. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. Readers are always going to have intensely personal subjective reactions and experiences with your work. But to then think I'm going to read reader opinions about people who don't like this. And they're talking about my life story and some of my most intense personal private moments ever. Like I just have to be prepared to do that, because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to invite all sorts of reactions. And so it was scary. It was a scary process um, and definitely a new challenge. Well, I think a huge difference there also to bring up, too, if you're writing historical fiction, is there really isn't anyone around to object to the way they're being portrayed versus you're putting in, you know, your husband, your family, your in-laws, everyone is in this book who matters. I'm wondering how, how they were about the book. How did everyone around you react even before we get into the outside world? So true. This is not only my story. This is the story of everybody who was there and our family and my husband. Um, and I really wanted to be respectful of the fact that even though I'm telling, you know, my story as I remember it and as I lived it, um, I, I don't have the right to hijack other people's stories or memories or experiences with this. Um, and so it was a delicate line to walk. And I definitely, you know, my husband was very much my partner in this at every step of the way he read every word of this, every line of this, every chapter of this. Um, and I also really wanted the, the other people who were as I would say, intimately involved, um, in this, you know, more so than anyone else were my in-laws, Dave's parents, um, and my parents, 
because they were really there with me lockstep through a lot of these intense moments. Um, and so fortunately, I would say, you know, as intense as this experience was and, and brain injury is excruciatingly hard on a family, um, we came through to the other side, you know, still very much intact as a family. And so that's good. There aren't any sort of like devastating um, family dramas that really like ripped us apart and, and made it very hard to disclose and go publicly with. Um, but what I will say is that even the people who lived the closest to us in this, my in-laws and my parents, even them, there were aspects of the story that nobody knew. Nobody knew what it was like to live in every single one of these moments with me and with Dave. And so in some sense, writing this story and going public with it was sort of like a huge process of unburdening and getting this story off my chest and sort of feeling like, okay, Dave and I lived this and we carried this and we carried this alone, you know, for three years. And now I am emancipating this story and now all of you get to enter into it with us and share it and know what it felt like for us in some of these deep dark moments where we were completely alone and now you can all have your own experiences with it and your own relationships and go forward and carry this story with us um as as we go forward and so in some ways it was almost like a huge relief and i will say like even people who are so close to us and who were there for us in the journey they came forward and they were like wow I never knew about X or I never knew about Y or like there was something about us that they learned through sharing this um, story through reading Beauty in the Broken Places. And so that has been, I would say, a positive experience overall with, for our family. Um, it is interesting, though, to like go up and meet complete strangers, you know, friends of my mother-in-law or people in the grocery store <laughs> and just have them say, you know, I feel like I know you so well. I know everything about you and I know your husband and I know everything about your daughter and I know so much about your in-laws now. And it's like, yeah, I really, you know, you really do because I put that in there. And so now you know way more about me than I know about you. And that can be, that can be kind of weird. But like I said, I said, if I'm going to do this, it's got to be worthwhile. And the only way to make that true is to write this in an honest, raw, open, vulnerable way. Yes, you you definitely did a wonderful job of that. And I thought it was it would be easy to kind of go into this, just one side of it. Like, of course, I was happy to do all of these things. But I think it, it, as a reader, I felt like I appreciated more the challenge and the difficulty of it because you shared the full spectrum of what it was like. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, being a wife or be, being a spouse, you know, is challenging in and of itself. Being a new mother um, is challenging in and of its new self, in and of itself. But being a caregiver to a husband who is literally having to regrow a brain from less helpless than that of a newborn, while you know balancing becoming a mother and just everything else that we had going on in our lives after Dave's stroke, um, it was excruciating and it was painful and. There were days when I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And and quite frankly, there were days when I thought, I can't, I'm not physically up to this. I'm not emotionally up to this. Um, I'm not mentally up to this. And there, you know, even after the stroke, even after those dark days of not knowing whether Dave would survive, some of the days months later were even harder in, in some ways. Um, and just when the stamina and the adrenaline and the energy and the support 
you know, had largely moved on. Um, there were some really, really dark days in there. And, and so it w- I had to go into that and I had to share that. Um, and ultimately what I have come to realize, you know, in the year that this story has been out there is that, gosh, everybody has something like this. Or if they don't, everybody at some point will have something like this. And um, you draw strength, I think, from hearing about the survival um, and the strength and stamina of others. Um, and, and ultimately, like when I was going through this after Dave's stroke, I thought I would really appreciate if I was reading a book like this, I would appreciate the honesty and sort of the the resilience that comes from saying like, you will get through this. I've been through something like this. I have walked a road as harrowing and dark and frightening and isolating as you have and gotten to the other side and you will as well. And that, that's what I needed to hear. And so that was sort of the story that I wanted to be able to write and the message I wanted to convey. I found myself sort of wishing that there was a time machine and you could take the book and go back and give it to yourself at the beginning. I know. Or to yeah, those around I thought that you. Too. I thought that too. If only we had the capacity to, um, you know, because people who who said like Lee Woodruff, for instance, who was one of the mentors in the process, who'd gone through her own devastating experience as a wife and a caregiver through brain injury. When she said things like, you will ultimately survive this and your family will survive this and you will ultimately get to a time where there will be days where not only will you feel okay, but you will feel joy once again. And I just thought in those moments, like, I know she means it. And I know she's speaking this from her own experience. If anybody has the right to say this, it's her. And yet I don't know how I can believe her. Um, But she was right. And she knew what she was talking about. And ultimately I wanted to give those words to the people who were at the starting line of their own harrowing journeys to say, you will get through this. You are not alone. Other people have lived moments as dark as these and have emerged through to the other side and you will too. Um, so yeah, I would love to be able to read that book. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, the version of me that was, you know, weeping in bed alone, you know, in June and, and July and August of 2015. Yeah. I'm wondering, so going back to what we started to talk about at the beginning, that one of the things is that because you were so open and so honest and shared such a painful experience that people have come forward with their own stories. And I'm wondering how you're taking care of yourself around that, how it is to hear so many stories. And honestly, just on a practical level, how are you managing the level of correspondence that could be generated by a book like this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it makes book signings a lot more intense because people aren't just coming forward to talk about CC. They're coming forward to talk about themselves and in really honest, open, vulnerable, in some, some instances, heartbreaking ways. And people are coming who are survivors of their own strokes and brain injuries and other harrowing illnesses. And then also people are coming who are exhausted caregivers and who feel like they, you know, are, are just barely getting through each day. And there are a lot more hugs, I would say, at book signings. Mm. There are a lot more tears. Um, and I just really try to meet each reader kind of where they are and w- in, in, the, in what they are telling me in that moment. Um, and I just said to my editor, like, before I published Beauty in the Broken Places, if one person comes up to me and says, this book helped me, then it will have made the entire process worth it of how difficult it's been to write this book and how difficult it's been to live through the source material that created this book. 
And so when that happens, you know, a thousand times over, um, it's just affirming and rewarding and, and it makes it worth it. Um, so physically, when I see people who are in their own journeys with brain injury or stroke or, or whatever their journey is, that's, that's making life so challenging for them on a day-to-day basis. Um, we connect in, you know, in that face-to-face way. And then, as you said, logistically, when I get messages through email or social media or my website, um, then that becomes a written correspondence. But I, what I will say is it's as difficult and devastating and sad as it can be to hear about some of the pain that others are suffering. It's also incredibly affirming, life affirming when I hear from people who drew strength or sustenance or resilience from the message and who are, who are walking, you know, their own journeys with such strength and, and resolve and and resilience. Um, And every day, you know, when I get one of these notes, I share it with my husband and I think, I think back to the words of my book, gosh, may we always remember how lucky we are every single day, you know, give gratitude for whatever it is that's going on in that day that you can find to, to be grateful for. Um, and, you know, it's a reminder when I'm, if I ever want to be tempted to, you know, be stressed about work or a parking ticket or, you know, all these million little hassles that come up in life and the inconveniences, just think, gosh, there were days, you know, four years ago where I would have given anything for my inconvenience or my stress today to be a parking ticket or a stressful work deadline or a sick kid, you know, there are so many larger things in life that like, I just have to remember to be mindfully grateful for. And so those messages really do help me kind of keep my head on straight and w- with regards to that. Definitely. One of the things you said earlier was that that moment in the airplane changed you forever as a person, and it also changed you forever as a writer. So I'm wondering where you are with your writing now and what you're working on now, having written both fiction and nonfiction at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it changed me as a person and just having sort of like a deeper understanding of grief. Like, quite frankly, before Dave's stroke, we had lived relatively charmed lives. You know, we had, our parents were alive. We were married happily. We were in careers that we had worked really hard um, to build and establish, but that like gave us tremendous satisfaction on a daily basis. And um, we were fortunate and I was aware of that, but I think it just gives you a much deeper understanding of life and of even just your own life experiences, but the the experiences of others in your life too, when you have stared down death and thought I came within, you know, seconds of wondering if my spouse was dead at the age of 30 while I'm pregnant with my first child and feeling her kick in my womb. Um, And just thinking like, am I about to become a widow, you know, as I'm about to also become a mother. Um, I just think that it, it, it changes your perspective on like, everything that happens in a given day in your life and in the lives of your loved ones. Um, But then as a writer, gosh, writing this book from those experiences was like a huge um, process of sort of, uh, how do I even put this? A a cathartic experience, Mm -hmm. getting it out and then, and then sharing it and then having it be out there and, and the relief of just being able to like now I almost felt like, okay, the story's out there. It's having a life of its own. Readers are connecting with it. And now in some ways I begin a new life chapter 
because now this story, I've sort of processed everything through the four years that we've lived through this. And I've, I've sort of emancipated the story and now I move on. And so interestingly, the project that I had in the works that is my most recent project to come right after Beauty and the Broken Places is a children's book, which mm. is a totally different experience, obviously, than writing a gut-wrenching autobiographical memoir. Um, but it's also just, it's also something I've never done before. It's my, this is my first children's book, but it's, it, it was like jumping into an ice cream sundae after <laughs> eating the most bitter of greens. That's the way I would explain it. Um, it's just joy and it's light and it's fun. And going to a reading with children is obviously totally different than going to a reading with people who have suffered brain injury or stroke or other traumatic life experiences. Um, and so it's a really, I think, necessary and good palate cleanser. And it, it, the point also where I am now in my life is I'm not only a wife and a, and a caregiver um, to a survivor, but I'm also a mom um, to a toddler and a baby. And so that's, that's part of what I'm living these days too, is I'm living the world of children's books and story with children, with babies. Um, and so it's really, really nice. And um, that's been a whole sort of new facet I've opened up in my career that I'm loving. And then I'm also now having the chance to return to my first love, which is historical fiction. And I'm working on my next big historical fiction book that comes out um, in early, early next year, early um, 2020. So it's given me an appreciation um, for being able to do what I love and being able to call this work. Um, and it's sort of opened up different facets of, of my writing. You know, nonfiction is totally different from children's books, which is totally different from writing news, which is totally different from writing historical fiction. So I enjoy things about each of them um, and I appreciate them. And and I'm excited that I get to sort of go in these um, multiple different directions of my career with these unexpected detours. And obviously Beauty in the Broken Places was a completely unexpected detour, but then it was a joy after um, launching that to be able to speak to people and connect with people in this meaningful way while also being able to have this fun writing experience of the children's book. That's lovely. I think it's, again, I wish you could take that, what you just said and play it to yourself four years ago yeah. to know that this would happen yeah. in the future and that that would come to it. Cause it makes me think, did it change what you wanted to write about for your next novel, yeah. knowing that you yeah. have all of this sort of life experience now yeah. that you could bring to it. Well, it's really interesting because the woman who I'm writing about for my next, next historical fiction book, uh, the one that comes out in early 2020, her husband suffers and dies from a stroke. And I just, I didn't know that before I picked her as my subject. <gasps> and um, I didn't obviously know that you know, before Dave had had the stroke, but even though I had settled on her before Dave had the stroke, so I just you thought, did. Oh wow! Gosh, I I get it, and and it was a totally different life experience. They were much older. They'd had a fascinating life, which you can all read about in early 2020. <laughs> but 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 her husband, who becomes the king, replaces a king who dies of a stroke, and then he himself dies of a stroke. And I just thought, oh my gosh, boy, do I know what it's like to crouch over that bedside, you know, of a husband who's had a stroke and to wonder where he's gone. And I, so I could obviously write from a well of experiences, um, which, you know, the same way I could write 
suddenly, once I had become a mother, I could write about childbirth in a totally different way. Like, you, you know, you just, as you have these life experiences, it it gives you sort of a deeper understanding of, of of what people go through. You know, there's a reason why elderly people are the wisest people. They have amassed, you know, lives chock full of experience and, and it takes a long time to acquire wisdom. Um, and so that was an, an experience, a, you know, a profound and unwanted um but real experience of acquiring a certain wisdom. Um, and so, yes. And then also it, I think has just changed my perspective of how I just look at each day. I approach each day, you know, I'm alive. I'm healthy. My husband is alive. He's healthy. Our children are alive and happy and healthy. Like that in and of itself is a good day. Like try to just always remember that and be conscious of that. Um, and so, yes, it has, it's changed my experience, you know, not only as a woman and a writer, but also just, in how I choose to spend my time and, and pursue the projects that I'm going to work on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's always interesting to me because we place such value in this culture about new young debut authors. And I mm -hmm. love that you're talking about that older people have gained all of this experience. And it makes me think it would be really fun if we had this whole genre of like new writers over 70 who are oh yeah writing yeah, about absolutely. their experience and how different that oh would gosh. be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like when I just, the example I gave was like, I'd had multiple heroines give birth before I myself had given birth. And so that was just interesting experience to go back and think, huh, I really had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and now I do. <laughs> um, but, but also to your, to your question of, has it changed like our perspective on just, you know, how, how I, not only how I live, but how I write one of the, the moments that was sort of pivotal in beauty in the broken places is a year later, we marked Dave's alive day, which was the day that Dave had a stroke one year prior, June 9th, 2015 was the day that Dave almost died. And so now every year, June 9th, 2016, 17, 18, going forward, we always celebrate that horrible day by celebrating Dave's alive day, because it was the day, um, you know, that changed us forever. He almost died, but he didn't. Um, and so that was the, June 9th, 2016 was the last day I wrote him a letter um, after I had marked time um, every day for a year. And now every June 9th, you know, we sort of regroup and sort of not only reflect on what happened, but also celebrate life. And so I just couldn't help but think about your comment. I wish I could, you could go back and give the book that you have now to yourself of 2015 or 2016. Um, that is so true. And that's something that I just reflect, you know, this time of year, particularly because we're coming up on the anniversary um, that, you know, every year that we hit June 9th, it's, it's a way to think, gosh, think about how I felt on this day you know, years prior. Um, there's no reason to just not think about that, you know, every day going forward and just think, um, you know, it, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse no matter what else is happening. It's true. And I think that it made me think of one section of the book, which it was a, it was a short passage, but I thought it was quite, um, quite thoughtful and thought provoking is that anyone who's been through 
a harrowing experience or a scare or something traumatic like this. And the sort of lack of preparation the community yeah. has around it in terms of what there's what they should say that's helpful. Yeah. And the way yeah. to respond. Um I was thinking that this book is almost like an FAQ that people who've been through difficult situations could give to someone and say, here, she explains it. This is what's helpful. And this is what's not. Oh my gosh. And I even find myself now fumbling when I am with people who are going through something intensely, incredibly difficult. I don't know what to say. And gosh, I just, I would say that like having been through this, been on the end of the receiving end of needing people's sort of support and understanding. I would just say when we want to minister to or serve or show up for people who are suffering, the most important thing is to just sort of take the initiative to offer the help without putting the burden on the person of, of needing to ask or be specific or give any sort of guidelines or information. Like, for me, what I most appreciated is the person who was just like, here's a ready-made dinner so you don't have to cook tonight. Or um, which day which day can I come over and babysit your baby for a couple hours so you can you know, take a shower or get a nap or go to the grocery store? Um, just doing – for me, this, what mattered was like I, I was so uncomfortable being in the position of taker. That was not my natural – inclination or comfort zone. Um, and so for the person to just sort of take that burden off of me of having to ask or need, and just instead coming in being targeted and specific. Um, and also like, it's such a difficult balance to walk between asking the person, you know, being genuinely interested and concerned and wanting, um, to be supportive and wanting to understand where that person is, you know, in their experience, but not requiring the person to give a catalog and a blow by blow of everything in their life that sucks. You know, like sometimes it's almost becomes about the person asking questions is interested and wants to know, but the person who's going through it doesn't really want to have to rehash it or go through it right now. You know, you're just, I come home from the hospital and I'm, exhausted and I don't want to have to tell you everything, you know, that's going on. So it's a really, really fine line, but obvious, but honestly, like you can tell when somebody, which is the vast majority of people is well-intentioned and is just wants to be there for you and wants to help. Um, but it's, it, it, it's, it's really interesting how like grief and hardship can make people uncomfortable and it can be awkward and you don't, you don't really know how to comport yourself in those instances. And so I did go into that a bit. Um, and it was just a really big learning experience for me and just thinking like, okay, now I know when somebody's going through grief, like this is what they might need. This might not be helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I really do. I really do go into that, but I think ultimately like the most important thing is just like showing up and, and just providing the help and the support and not needing anything in return, not needing the thanks, not needing the person's time, not needing, you know, the person's acknowledgement. Like, this is just an example, but like, leave the dinner there and don't need the person to thank you for doing it. You're not doing it for that person's thanks. You're doing it because you're helping that person who's in pain. So it's really, it's not about you. So don't make it about you. That's, that's sort of what I learned through my own experience. Yes. And I think that writing a book like this, you were able to share so many experiences that I think will ripple outwards in terms of 
even something helpful like this, that obviously wasn't the intention of writing the book, but I think anyone who reads it will learn something from it. So I hope, I hope what I said is it has to be honest and open and it has to be universal. this can't just be about a woman who's pregnant, whose husband almost dies and has a stroke and wakes up in a state of amnesia and their excruciating journey to bring him back to life. Um, you know, that that's the story of, of one man, one survivor and one marriage, but it has to be a broader story about a more sort of relatable, universal human experience. And that's why readers should read it, because this is not just for women whose husbands have had strokes. This is about just anybody who has, as we say in the book, entered the club of the bad thing or even just knows and loves other people who have entered the club of the bad thing. Um, and so I want it to be honest and I wanted it to be relatable and useful for people. It definitely No matter is. sort of where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that we had a chance to talk more about a little bit of the behind the scenes of writing it and to hear about what it's been like for you to have it out in the world the past year. So thank you so much for coming on, Allison. Thank you for helping me to you know share the story and for sharing the story with your listeners. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.